Good evening and welcome to Mets 360 here on CAST. I'm your host, Brian Jora, and I'm very pleased to welcome back to the podcast tonight uh, fantasy baseball excerpt expert Tim McLeod. I'm sorry, Tim, I didn't mean to choke on the word expert. You really are an expert. You know your stuff. I, I apologize. Uh, good timing, Brian. Excellent timing. And, and I, I'm glad to be uh, back talking some baseball with you. It's always always a fun time talking talking up the game with you. Now, we're going to talk about both the uh, the Mets and uh, Major League Baseball in general, but let's start out with the Mets because we got some really good uh, news, I guess, as Mets fans are here right before the start of the season in that uh, they signed uh, the reigning Cy Young Award winner, Jacob deGrom, to a, a long-term extension. Uh, what are your thoughts on the deal? I think it's a great deal. Uh, I think the timing is good, and... You know, let, let's face it, if you're going to compete, you've got to have the pitching. And right now, Jacob deGrom is one of the top two, three uh, arms in the game. He had, uh, he's he's been outstanding the last three, four years. I, mean, I don't think anybody can debate that. But I guess from my point of view, I, I guess I'm a little uh, confused as to, to why the fans we're so very concerned about getting DeGrom to sign an extension when the Mets had two years of team control left. Did that strike you as odd? Well, yeah. If you take a look at the numbers, Brian, you're looking at two years of arbitration, okay, where DeGrom was likely to get, say, a total of about $40 million. Does that sound reasonable to you? Yeah, I think the, the well, it wasn't actually a case this year. They settled, and I think it was seventeen this year. So you would certainly expect a, a healthy raise if he turned in another year. It might even be a little north of forty. Yeah. So what you're looking at over the balance of that contract, okay, taking out the arbitration years, is you're looking at thirty-two, thirty-three mil a year over the last three years of that deal. Well, you know, Chris Sale just signed for. 30 mil over the last three years of his deal. So I think uh, the two contracts are basically running hand in hand. And I think a, a fair value uh, as, as to what both of those pitchers are worth uh, in the marketplace right now. Well, I have a couple of thoughts. One is it, it came out today that uh, uh, quite a substantial amount of the money that DeGrom will be paid is going to be backloaded um, and, and like backloaded like 15 years out. So uh, that really changes the, the calculation. Uh, I don't really have all of the details on that, so I can't really speak intelligently about it, but we, we do have to factor in that that's the case. Very similar to, I guess, what the, the Nationals did with Max Scherzer. But yeah. even leaving that aside, I want to go back to the, the the need to sign him to an extension now. And the, the comp that, that I've used in the past is Jake Arrieta. Jake Arrieta won the Cy Young Award and then had two years of uh, team control left. And the Cubs opted not to sign him to a long-term deal. And then he, uh, you can't say that he turned into a pumpkin, but he lost a lot of his value from his Cy Young Award winning season in those two years. And certainly as a Mets fan, I'm hoping that, that DeGrom does not do that. But I think that we have to look at that as at least a, a possibility. <clears throat> yeah, I think it's a possibility, but... How do you how do you go about crystal balling the future? You know, based on what we've seen from from Degrom, uh, I'm comfortable with that contract. It brings him to his age 35 season. Uh, I think Max Scherzer's somewhere in that uh, in that age range or, or closing in on it, and we haven't seen him falter yet. So I, I'm comfortable with that deal. And I've been a big fan of Jake Degrom. He he really helped me out in my fantasy baseball business because I don't know if you remember a few years back when. The big name in uh, New York was, uh, wasn't was Jacob deGrom. It was Montero, wasn't it? They both came up about the same time. And yeah. Montero uh, had uh, bigger hype. Uh, mm -hmm. Certainly, I was a, a big Montero backer. And, and while Montero was putting up very good minor league numbers, DeGrom had uh, a couple of things going. One, he was actually a infielder. He was a shortstop in college. And in college, he transitioned to become a pitcher. So he didn't have a whole lot of experience. And then he also ran into some arm trouble early on in his minor league career. So he was really behind Montero when they, they first came up. They actually were promoted to the majors on the same day. 
and uh, you know, as as a as a longtime Montero fan, and and I'm, don't get me wrong, I like Jake too, obviously, but I always wonder if that if only one opening had come and they had allowed Montero to to go through some of those growing pains. Um, if things might have turned out differently. But since the two of them came up together, Jacob excelled right away. And when it was time for one of them to go back, it was an easy case to, to send Montero down. Yeah, it worked out very well for me because my advice at that time was to avoid paying the big bucks on Montero and sneak in with the lower bid on your waiver wire for Jake DeGrom. And he ended up winning me and a lot of people, a lot of leagues. So I still owe Jake DeGrom for coming through uh, a number of years ago, Brian. I may have choked on it in the opening, but indeed we are talking to a fantasy baseball expert tonight. So um, when we're, as long as we're talking about extensions, you know, as far as a, a big picture MLB item, it's kind of hard to find one bigger uh, here recently than Mike Trout uh, foregoing uh, free agency and and signing a 12-year, $430 million deal. Um, what were your thoughts about that? Were you were you surprised? Uh, and and what do you think the the deal means for Trout, uh, the Angels, and uh, and the Players Union? Well, you know, despite all of the talk about you know Bryce Harper and Philadelphia and that whole thing, I, I think Mike Trout enjoyed playing for the Angels. Uh, I, I think he enjoys the, the West Coast. He's comfortable in that environment. He's definitely worthy of being paid the, the highest salary in the game. He's the best player in the game. So uh, I wasn't overly shocked. I think it's good for Trout. I think it's good for the Angels. And as far as the, the Players Association, how can they argue with a player signing a $430 million deal? You know, <laughs> it's... It, it's a it's a win 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 as far as I'm concerned. Now, to to me, I'm I'm happy. I I, I like to see the the guys who uh, can can be like the Ernie Banks and be the the superstar for one team throughout their entire career. Hopefully, the Mets will get that with Jacob Degrom and Michael Conforto and and maybe one or two others. So I'm I'm happy that we're going to see Trout uh, with the Angels for his entire career. But I guess I can't get away from the fact that when only one team was allowed to be in the bidding that the the bidding got up to 430 what would it have been like if you know three or four other teams with deep pockets could have been involved as well what might the contract have looked like and and maybe that's what MLBPA would have liked to have seen differently yeah I, i'm i'm sure the players association would have loved to have seen a 12 year 650 million dollar deal but Hey, you can't argue with with the end result. You really can't. Now, some guys did not get that uh, extension. Ended up going to uh, free agency, and uh, un- unless they signed in the last couple of days, and I missed it, they're they're still out there. And uh, that's uh, Craig Kimbrell and and Dallas Keuchel, um, and. And we saw last year that some of the free agents who signed late really had disappointing seasons. Uh, What do you see happening for those two individuals? And uh, do you really knock them down fantasy-wise because of it? Yeah, I I think when you look back to last year, the late signers were disappointing. And when you start looking at Keuchel and, and Kimbrell, assuming they sign at some point, I would think that there's going to be a period where there's going to have to be some rust knocked off. And I think in the over the long haul, I think they'll be fine. But that first two, three weeks uh, could be a little shaky. Now, it seems like uh, the Red Sox and Kimbrel were maybe playing a game of chicken. Do you still see the Red Sox as a possibility for Kimbrel, or do you think they've moved on? Um, I think everybody's moved on, uh, uh, Brian. Uh it's, it's, it's an interesting situation in that, you know, you take a, a look at the contract that Aroldis Chapman signed. I think it was $86 million over five a couple of years back. Uh, the market has changed, but at the same point in time, is Craig Kimbrell worthy of a contract of that magnitude? And obviously, in his mind, he believes that. Right now, people aren't offering it up. So I think uh, Kimbrell could land up uh, in Atlanta. Uh 
San Diego is another possibility, uh, you know, with the news that uh, Tatis Jr. is going to break camp with San Diego. They're all in, and they just, you know, signed Manny Machado. Uh, a team like Minnesota would be a great landing spot for Craig Kimbrell, but I think he's going to take a one-year deal and then go back searching for a longer-term deal uh, heading into next season. It, it just seems curious to me that um... – there's the possibility that he may do a one-year deal and look to get a, a long-term deal next year because I think the problem is he's looking for a long-term deal now and nobody's willing to give it to him. And it's not like he's he's been injured. I mean, he's been pretty healthy and pretty dominant the the last few years. Had uh, struggles last year in, in the postseason, which may or may not be impacting things right now. But I, I think that you hit it on the head. He's looking for that Chapman contract, and no one wants to give a five-year deal to a reliever who's over 30. Yeah, you, you know what's interesting? Uh, uh, you know, say what you want about Craig Kimbrell, but if you compare his career to this point in time to Mariano Rivera... Do you know that he has 168 more saves heading into the same time frame as Rivera? Uh, Craig Kimbrell is definitely a an all-star, one of the best in the game. And I can see where he's sitting back and saying, I want to be rewarded for it. And, you know, who knows? Maybe Kimbrell will just say, you know, hey, I, I really don't care. I'll, I'll take the year off. I'll sit it out. And maybe he's in a situation financially where he can do that. Well, I certainly hope uh, with the money that he's made to this point in his career that he's in the position to do that. Uh, I still uh, would be afraid to take an entire year off. I don't think that baseball history has been kind to guys over the age of 30 who take a, a year off for non-injury related reasons coming back and, and reaching their former self. But we've been talking about Kimbrell, and I don't mean to slight the other guy, Dallas Keuchel, who, who, geez, you, you'd think that there would be 15 teams interested in, in having him on their staff. And with with Kimbrell, it makes sense that you don't want to pay a reliever, but I guess I'm a little surprised that Keuchel has had the, the difficulty that he's had. Well, yeah, you look at uh, teams like San Diego, okay, that are – obviously much more all-in now than they were a year ago. You'd think San Diego would be interested. You look in your division, uh, Brian, there's some question marks uh, with the number four or five starters on basically every team. Philadelphia, the Mets, Washington. You would think somebody would be looking at offering him even a two-year deal at this stage. Yeah, talk about the Phillies. I think you got five well, four, four question marks. We can't call Aaron Nola a question mark, but I think that there's there's legitimate questions about everybody else that they have in that staff. And as a Mets fan, that's the last place that I want him to, to end up is in Philadelphia because I think that rotation is what's going to keep them from being a playoff contender this year. Yeah, I, I think for all that the Phillies have done as far as loading up on offense, they're going to need Jake Arrieta to bounce back, and they're going to need a, a big year from Nick Pavetta, and there's still question marks. So uh, uh, despite all the loading up, uh, they're not my favorite in that division. Well, the the Mets have had tremendous luck against the Phillies the last few years. It'll be interesting to see if that will continue after all of their offseason additions that they made this year. But last year, Nola was pretty much the only pitcher who could beat them. And uh, it would be nice if uh, the way the schedule worked out that every single time we played against the Phillies that Nola's turn to pitch didn't come up. But uh, perhaps that's a little bit of whining on my part. But anyway, let's uh, let's turn it back uh, to, to the Mets. Uh, I want to talk about uh, Med Rosario. Uh, when he was promoted to the majors in uh, the middle of the 2017 season, he was pretty much a consensus top five prospect. But uh, here in his year and a half in the majors, he hasn't really uh, justified that hype yet. Uh, do, do you see him as, as a type of post-hype uh, breakout guy this year? Or do you think there's still more growing pains on the horizon? Um, I'm, ex I'm expecting a big breakout this year, Brian. Uh, you look at his second half last year. You know, the batting average was up. The OBP was up. He cut back on the strikeouts. Stole 18 bases in the second half, and that's all as a 23-year-old. You know, a lot of people forget that this kid's just heading into his age 24 season. 
that's young. And I think there's uh, there's considerable upside heading into 2019 with Rosario. And I think he's going to deliver on the goods. So he was uh, touted as uh, pretty much a two-way star player, somebody who was going to be uh, an offensive force uh, and then also be a, a plus defender at his position. And I think he's been a, a disappointment on, on both uh, sides of the ball here. Uh, had a, a strong second half last year, and maybe that will uh, carry over carry over to this year. But I think there's still some questions about his defense, and um, we we know that defense typically peaks earlier uh, than offense does. So if he's having troubles now, you know what's going to happen in two or three years, and uh, the the Mets have a, another top. Uh, uh, sh- shortstop prospect in their system and on there is Jimenez and supposedly his defense is uh, much better than Rosario's right now so to me it'll be real interesting to see what kind of rope they give Rosario. Yeah I think they're going to give him a lot and I think you're going to be very very happy uh, when uh, we get to September and you look at those numbers uh, Brian. Big fan. Well, I'm 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 hoping you're right. I'm hoping we see second half Rosario and 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 not first half. Um but uh, I want to shift gears and, and uh, talk more big picture again. And uh, news uh, came out uh, in the off season that uh, Major League Baseball was partnering with the Atlantic League, uh, an independent league, not one of the affiliated leagues, um, with the idea of, of trying out some different uh, rules to, to see how it would work in a, in a competitive environment. And... Uh, uh, two of the ones that uh, jump out to me are they're going to introduce a computerized strike zone and they're also going to move the distance from the rubber to home plate back two feet. Um, th- those seem to me like very drastic changes. Uh, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I think they're incredibly drastic changes. Uh, as far as a computerized strike zone, I don't think there's any need for a computerized strike zone. All you have to do is get Angel Hernandez out of the game and life is good, right? <laughs> He, he is bad but he's he's not the he's not the only one um, uh, I, I, uh, I I I love the joke and and uh, I get the point um, but I, I think it, it's more than just Angel Hernandez and I, I think that uh, the strike zone the the calling of the accurate strike zone is is a fundamental issue of the game and and I think we're asking humans to do something that they're not ideally suited for i mean it's what you, you got 300 350 pitches in a game and it's tough to get 330 or 340 of them right yeah i i just think it it's if we have the technology and i'm not convinced that we do but if we have that technology that's a step i want to see made yeah i i think uh the computerized strike zone definitely definitely intrigues me but again, what I would like to see is I'd like to see Major League Baseball take the bull by the horn. And where you have umpires that are consistently uh, having challenges calling balls and strikes and consistently calling them, then maybe they do some disciplining at their end. Let's face it, when, when a Major League hitter gets promoted, if they don't hit, they get sent back to the minors, right? It's, you know, it's standard fare. If you don't do your job, you're subject to demotion. And I, I think Major League Baseball has to take a more active approach uh, when it comes to their umpiring crew. If guys aren't getting it done, you know, do something about it. Just don't let it drag on and on and on. As far as some of the other changes are concerned, I've witnessed some being a regular attendee in the Arizona Fall League. And one that I really like is the pitch clock. And I didn't think I would until I actually saw it in play in Arizona. And you know, 20 seconds is lots of time. You know, when, when you look at uh, guys like Hunter Strickland, they're taking, you know, 32 seconds between pitches. Okay, get that out of the game. We, we really don't need that, Brian. Oh, I, I couldn't agree more. I, I guess I always think of the the batters being more of the uh, 
the instigators of the extended uh, plate appearance. Uh, the the guy that I always think about is Nomar Garcia Para. Um, mm. I'm I'm not sure if he's the first, but he's the one that I think of who steps out of the box, readjusts his batting gloves, tilts his neck, adjusts his cup, and then gets back into the to the batter's box after every single pitch, and. Yeah, you know, I, I think that one of the things that they really ought to consider as a uh, as a time saving measure is if you have batting gloves, you can't take them off. You, well, you yeah, <laughs> or you, you you know you you put your you put your foot in the batter's box, right? And you stay there, okay? You know, hey, you, you want to step you want to step out for a second, uh, you know, while while the ball's being thrown back to the pitcher, that's all fine. But this in out in out in out, it just adds unnecessary time delays to our I'm a huge fan of the tr- testing out of the the computerized strike zone. And I'm I'm looking forward to seeing what happens in the Atlantic League with that. The other one, I guess I'm just scratching my head about because I just it just doesn't make any sense to me, and and that's moving the 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 distance back two feet. Um, I think that um, there there's this image that pitchers are dominating just because of the strikeouts, but. I, it almost seems like the strikeouts are the only thing that are keeping batters from totally owning the league. And if you take away strikeouts from the pitchers, you know, the average game is going to be 10-8. So I'm, I'm very concerned about that and uh, just wondering what you thought the, the advantage of, of moving the, the mound back two feet was going to be. Yeah, I, I'm sort of baffled on that one, Brian. I, I don't like it. I don't see a whole lot of purpose to it. And you know what? If pitchers are striking hitters, oh, maybe hitters at some point in time should develop a hit tool that allows them to put the ball in play instead of swinging for the fences every time they get up. We get into this idea that, you know, baseball can't change that uh if you if you try to introduce change you're you're messing with something that that's pure and and doesn't need it and i I guess i side with that a little bit but i i guess maybe i make a distinction in that there's things that the game should be allowed to work out on its own and i would put something like the the strikeout issue in that let the Mm -hmm. game find its own equilibrium but on the other hand, something that I don't think the game can really regulate, the strike zone issue and the computerized strike zone. And if we can do that, if we could get a, a unified, consistent strike zone, that would be awesome. So I think that that's something that's a that would be a huge change. Uh, but I think it would be a huge change for the better. And I think that would be one case where we would want to tinker. Yeah, I don't have any problems with what I perceive to be positive changes. You know, when, when you look at, well, here, here's another one, Brian. You start looking at, you know, they're talking about going to uh, a system where pitchers have to face three hitters, okay? Uh, I don't like that. I think it, it changes the game. It changes the strategy of the game. Since 1990... Uh, there's been a grand total of nine minutes added to our game in 28 years. Why would you want to tinker with the strategy and play in the game for nine minutes? You know, if Rob Manford's concerned about attendance, the easiest way to solve that problem is put a better quality of product on the field, reduce your ticket prices, and don't charge 10 bucks for a small jug of water. Yeah, indeed. I, I sign on with all of those. To to me, I'm I'm really conflicted on on the 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 issue because that's to uh, get away from the the lefty specialist and and I hate I, I can't stress enough how much I dislike the role of the lefty specialist. So part of me is is standing up cheering uh, this potential rule change, but then another part of me says, but this is something that teams should come to on their own. Uh, this is a, a strategy thing, like you say, and and I'd like to, you know, Tony Larusa was ahead of the curve. He's the one who who essentially brought this in, and at some point, someone's going to say, you know, it really isn't a benefit to us to carry a reliever all year long to pitch 33 innings. It's it's insane. We shouldn't do it. And somebody's going to get that same competitive advantage by not doing it when everybody else does it. 
Well, and the bottom line there for me is, you know what? If a batter can't hit lefties or righties, maybe you should spend some more time in the cage. <laughs> All right, I got a I got a long question for you, so okay. so hold on for a minute. So. Um, it used to be when I was growing up, there was more teams that trained in in Florida than than there was in in Arizona, but now I think we're at a fifteen fifteen split, and and then you don't see as many um, in in Florida in Arizona they're very close together, but in Florida the teams are spread out, so you have your East Coast teams and your West Coast teams, so there's fifteen teams. But essentially, you play five or six of them over and over and over again because they're on the same side of the state as you are, and you don't you don't have to travel very far. Then no one's a fan of those three and four hour bus rides. So, uh, and and to make it even worse, the teams that are with the Mets are the teams that are in their division. So they're constantly playing the Nationals. They're constantly playing the Marlins. They're constantly playing. Um, Oh God, who's the uh, the Nationals? Yeah. Nationals, Marlins, and Braves—the three teams that they they play a lot—are all in their division. And we we heard for years that you know at the end of spring training that they they don't put their uh, starting pitchers out because they don't want these teams to get too much of a a look at them. And the Mets did that with the Nationals. They held back uh, uh, Jacob Degrom and Noah Syndergaard. Didn't have them pitch in the last game of the year against the the Nationals. Um, but I'm just wondering, in this age of video where you have so much uh, intelligence on on every pitcher in the league, does that make any sense to hold a, a guy back from a spring training outing? Well, no, except for the fact that Syndergaard didn't want to go to Syracuse either. So, you know, maybe, maybe it was the transportation he wasn't interested in, uh, Brian. <laughs> but, you know, hey, how many times have all of these teams seen DeGrom and Syndergaard? over the years there's nothing new there there's tape there's film so you know what to me it sounds like uh they didn't want to put them on the bus and have them endure a two-hour two-hour trip or something you know what i mean that's the only thing that makes sense to me you know it's nothing that jacob de grom or noah syndergaard is going to do is going to surprise any of the competition it's not going to happen so you brought up the Syracuse issue, so uh, we, we might as well talk about that. Uh, the Mets, uh, after six years in Las Vegas, uh, finally got their uh, top minor league affiliate back in the Eastern time zone, and uh, they purchased the Syracuse club, uh, which was uh, an excellent move on their part. Now they don't have to worry about getting kicked out of a, a prime location ever again since they're the ones who own the team. But, I mean, let's face it, it's Syracuse. Nobody wants to go to Syracuse. So uh, I can't say that I blame Noah too much for thinking that. Maybe saying it out loud maybe wasn't the, the best thing that he could have done. But it seemed like Noah just woke up on the wrong side of the bed because that's the same day that he complained that the, the team didn't uh, sign DeGrom to a long-term contract. So maybe he just wanted to vent that particular day. But you would think that uh, a 21st century athlete would have a, a little more, uh, I guess, a polished approach to PR than just to uh, dismiss a city like uh, Noah did with Syracuse. Well, yeah, you know what, it's it's their, their new minor league home, there's lots of fans there, and, you know, hey, not that I'm spiteful or anything, but you know what, if I was the uh, the Mets hierarchy, what I would do is I would send him, I would demote him to, to Syracuse, okay, <laughs> for one game, just out, just out of spite, so we'd have to spend the night wow. in the hotel there, okay? Wow, that that's harsh. That's cold. Well, um, hey, cold for cold, Brian. You know, uh, <laughs> force him to sign autographs at the outfield wall for an hour and a half, something like that. Hey, give wow, give, give back to those fans in Syracuse. Yeah, ah, I I feel things on me shriveling up just at the the notion of that. You're gangster. I I didn't realize. Uh, yeah, you know, I've got this reputation as being a you know a polite Canuck, et cetera, et cetera. But every once in a while, you know, the hairs on the back of my neck go up a little bit, and I get <laughs> almost cranky. <laughs> cranky, that's what we'll call it. I like yeah. it. Uh, All right, well, let, let's talk a little bit more about the uh, the NL East. And to me, it seems like a, an extremely interesting division this year because in, in this age where seemingly half of the teams are, are not trying to compete, we have four of the five teams that, that – probably feel like they have a good shot at making the playoffs this year. So 
how do you handicap the the NL East race right now? Right now, it you know any any one of, of those four teams I, I think has the potential to finish in the playoffs. But right now, I've got it: Washington in first, the Mets in second, Phillies in third, Braves in fourth, and Marlins playing on another planet. <laughs> All right, so I'm I'm going to put you on the spot. I'm, we're going to run down the teams one by one, okay. and I'm going to ask you to give me a strength and a weakness for each team. So you said that you had the Nationals winning the division. So what do you think the strength of the Nationals is? Uh, you got you got like uh, you got like Scherzer, Strasburg, and Corbin. All three of them. Uh, you look at the four or five. There's question marks, but there's question marks with every team's four or five. You look at that offense, um, I think Victor Robles is going to be the NL Rookie of the Year. Uh, I think he's a great young player. Juan Soto is going to take another step up, and he's already a monster at, what, 20? Then you throw players in like Anthony Rendon. They acquired Dozier, I believe, for second base. They improved their bullpen by adding uh, Rosenthal for when Dr. Doolittle takes his stint on the DL, which is something he does just about every every year. Uh, I, I like the Nats. I don't see any particularly big weaknesses there at all. Um, to me, I, I hope that the, the Mets walk Rendon anytime that there's a runner on base. <laughs> to, to me, he's the, he's the one guy that you absolutely do not let beat you. And uh, uh, do you have any concerns about... Um, so much of their their offensive hopes being tied up on the two young outfielders. No, I, I don't have any concerns there at all. And, and you know you've got you've got some veterans in there. You know Trey Turner is one heck of a shortstop, one of the best in the game. Ryan Zimmerman, when he's healthy, is a very very solid veteran presence who can still produce. And when he's not, Matt Adams has proven this spring that uh, he can get it done. So. Uh, it, it's a close, it's a close battle for me, but uh, I think Washington just has a little bit more right now than the Mets. Uh, I have some questions about the the Mets bats and how they're going to play out. And I think the Mets have some questions right now too. Uh, you know, once once Laurie gets back into the picture. Well, you you talk about uh, concerns about the uh, the Mets offense and and certainly that would be where you would think you would think that the offense and and the bullpen uh, after the the first two or three guys you know what happens with the bullpen so let's let's talk about the the other uh, two teams uh, give me your strength and weaknesses for the Phillies uh, strengths offense they they got the best offense in the division weaknesses uh, pitching. After Aaron Nola, you got you got four big question marks, and I don't. Uh, I think there's too many question marks in that rotation. Uh, you know, David Robertson. Uh, I'm not sold on on Robertson. I'm not. I'm not sold on the way Gabe Kapler handles his bullpen. Uh, I, I like Sir Anthony uh, Dominguez, but uh, Kapler doesn't seem to share in the Phillies that same love. So, I I just think the pitching is going to be a problem in Philadelphia, and it's going to hold them back. And it was interesting to me that you had last year's uh, champions of the division, the Braves, fourth in your pecking order. So where do you think the, the issue is for the Braves? Um, I, I think the Braves are going to be a very, very strong club for a long period of time. But right now you're talking about a rotation that has one veteran presence, and that's Julio Turan. And, you know, when you compare the – pitching in that division and you take a look at the Braves now the Braves have some amazing young arms but they're yet to they're yet to develop and I think it's going to take a year for those arms to develop you know pitchers like Bryce Wilson uh, Kyle Wright uh, Ian Ian Anderson's not too far down the road Tuki Toussaint they sent him down he'll be back but there's just right now uh, there's a a dearth of there's a they just need that pitching to develop, and that's going to take time. And I like the Braves, and this year, you know, next year at this time, Brian, I could very easily, once the Braves sort out that young pitching, I could very easily see them being a first-place club in that division. Nah, I don't like it. Keep them down fourth. That's where they belong. (laughs) 
Yeah, the offense is good. They got, you know, Albies and Acuna, two, two great young players. Freddie Freeman is great. The, the, the offense, again, I think is going to get better over time as these young players mature and grow into the game. But I just don't think they have the rotation right now to compete with the big three. All right, well, we have reached the crazy prediction uh, segment of the podcast. Uh, I'll give you a crazy prediction. I'll ask you to comment on it, and then I'll ask you to give me a crazy prediction of your own on any MLB topic that you wish. Are you ready? Ready to roll, Brian. All right, my, my prediction ties into something that we, we talked about earlier, and um, I believe this year is the final year of the contract between Major League Baseball and the Umpires Association. And my crazy prediction is that the next contract will have a phase-in for the computerized strike zone. I think that uh, the test is going to go well in the Atlantic League and, and Major League Baseball is going to insist on it and the umpires will have uh, no recourse except to accept it. So what do you think? Uh, I don't think it's that crazy except for the recourse part. Because they do, they do have an association, don't they? Indeed. Yeah, that could lead to a uh, labor disruption. Is that uh, is that a, f- a fair assessment on my behalf? Uh, you know, I, I always think back to one of my favorite Sandy Alderson lines. Uh, he was working in the commissioner's office, and the uh, the umpires tried to uh, uh, strong arm. Uh, the Major League Baseball in some way, and they they offered mass resignations as a protest over yeah, some issue that I've I've since forgotten. And uh, Sandy Alderson said, uh, "This is either a threat to be ignored, or a uh, a, a, a promise to be accepted." <laughs> <laughs> and you know, I I uh, I think it comes back to some of the points that you were making earlier. If the umpires want to hold out. You know, then we'll get new umpires in, and and we'll actually grade them and replace the ones who are no good. So, um, I, I I I don't see where they have great leverage. No, I don't see where they do either. But I think it's going to be something that is going to be a very very hard fought over topic. It has to be. You're talking about their jobs, right? Well, uh, you're you're talking about making their jobs more manageable. Um, I don't yeah, know you're if still this is going to you're still I you think, still need I, umpires. You're still going to need somebody to supervise the computers, right? <laughs> right, and then you know they'll they'll have to work out some system. I imagine that the home plate umpire will have some kind of um, uh, listening device in his ear, and they'll talk to him and tell him that was a strike, and he'll raise his right arm and yell strike. I mean, they 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 still need the the guys to to call all of the other action besides the balls and strikes. So I think as, as long as they, they have job security and, and, and good wages, that uh, I, I think you would look forward to having less work for the same amount of pay, wouldn't you? Well, yeah. And on the other hand, Earl Weaver and Billy Martin are rolling over in their graves right now with this whole conversation, aren't they? Well, um, uh Earl Weaver, a favorite of mine, so uh, I, I certainly don't want to say anything bad about the little midget. <laughs> well, no, but you don't have the same effect building a pile of sand and talking to a computer, do you? It's just not going to happen. All right, so you didn't think mine was overly crazy, so yeah. show me what a crazy prediction is, sounds like. I don't think mine is real crazy, but I'll, I'll let you. I'll, I'll I'll let you make the determination there. Michael Conforto hits more home runs this year than Bryce Harper and is your NL MVP. You know, um, I, I, I think Conforto is going to have a good year. I, I really do. But to me, the idea of Bryce Harper hitting in Philadelphia, um, it would not surprise me if, if Harper stays healthy, if he challenges for 50 home runs. And I just I can't see somebody who plays half their games in in City Field approaching that. I just can't. So um, I I love the optimism. Uh, I love Conforto. I think he's going to have a, a great year. But I just think on a pure home run basis, I don't think that uh, a healthy Conforto can compete with a healthy Bryce Harper. So uh, I'm I'm going to stamp that one as crazy. 
Okay, but does it get me invited back for another podcast? That's oh, the absolutely. Okay. Oh, it, it, it's it it that that's not a requirement, you know. For the okay. longest time, every prediction that I made, every crazy prediction, the the guest would just shake their head and say, "No, nah, I don't think that's crazy." But none of them ever come true. So <laughs> I don't know. I, I almost had one come true. Uh, last year, last year in the middle of the season, I said that uh, Ioannis Cespedes would not play another game the rest of the year. And he came back and he played one game. I was so close to having one of my crazy predictions come true. You know, I'm going to give you. I'm going to give you that one, Brian. Uh, th- well, thank you. I'm I'm, I'm not above accepting charity. <laughs> well, no. Well, you know, and let's face it. What Cespedes uh, gave the Mets last year was barely charity, right? Ugh. Well, you know, um, I'm I'm optimistic that uh, he'll do better with the heel surgery than Troy Tulowitzki has done. Uh, I'm 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 hopeful that he'll come back and uh, maybe play some games in September. You know, once the Mets have already clinched, they can uh, you know give Yuena uh, some uh, time to to get out there and get healthy. Yeah, I saw I saw a picture of him at the training facility, and he's got some work to do. He was making Pablo Sandoval look svelte. Oh, oh, oh! Are you still cranky? <laughs> it's it's my other person. It's it's my evil twin, Brian. What did I say? <laughs> wow! See, if you had said you thought he was walking kind of gingerly, I I would have been I would have been okay with that one. But God, the the, the guy's a brick house. He's he's a monster. He's a beast. I don't I don't see how you can you can compare him to Fatty. Well, uh, you say brick house, I'll say brick apartment building. How's that? <laughs> uh, all right. Well, let's uh, let's move away from craziness and into uh, uh, more serious stuff. And and uh, free agents. You know, obviously the union has not been happy with the the contract offers that have been coming ways of the free agents the past couple of seasons. And there's actually rumors of. Uh, you know, potential labor strife because of this. And, uh, you know, they, the last 20 years, we've avoided this, this labor stoppages and shutdown. And there almost seemed to be a collaborative uh, environment. And do you think that this issue of payment is, is something that's going to be a, a giant wedge issue in, in the next contract? Or do you think they'll be able to, to build some momentum with some of these smaller things that they're agreeing upon now and then be able to uh, uh, avoid a, a work stoppage uh, 2021, I think, is when the, the contract is up, something like that? Yeah, I, I'm predicting no baseball. You're predicting a strike. I'm predicting a strike, yeah. Wow. The the problem right now with the game is that uh, originally the the concept that the Players Association was building around when they looked at the collective agreement was that, okay, you know, players take a hit in their early years. They go through the arbitration process. At the end of six, they move into free agency, and they get big contracts, right? Well, what's happened is you're now taking the big contracts out of the game, but you still have the younger players subjected to uh, contracts being renewed, the whole arbitration process, and really the system is broken. It, it really is. Some of the best players in our game aren't playing the game because of the service time issues, the clock. So I think, uh, I think the Players Association is going to be pushing very, very hard to see minimum salaries increased, the length of service time reduced, and all of those things are held very, very close to the close to the vest by the owners. So I, I see a situation where I think there could be some serious serious labor unrest coming. I don't see an, an easy path to resolving that, but that's what they're going to have to resolve to make this thing work. That and start paying the minor leaguers some money too, which you know is starting to happen in some organizations, thankfully. Now, to to me, I'm I guess I'm surprised to to hear you say that. Um, it, it certainly makes me reconsider my own position. But to me, these are these are issues that can be maybe not solved, but at least you can you can see a pathway that both sides could agree upon to make things fairer than they are now. Perfect? Absolutely not. But fairer than they are now. And 
I think when we had all of these problems in, in the late 60s and the 70s and the early 80s, we had a, a bunch of owners uh, who had been involved in the game for a, for a long time who were not used to the players having any kind of say on payment issues whatsoever. And I think that that mindset was what kept you know uh, deals from being able to be made. But I think the owners that we have in the game currently they, they don't view the players in that way. They don't necessarily see them as equals, but they, they don't think that it's unrealistic that they're asking for more money like maybe the, the Walter O'Malley's of the world uh, were back in the 70s. So I, I think that there's, there's going to be some kind of solution that makes things fairer. And I, I think that solution is out there, and, and I see the two sides coming to an agreement without a stoppage. I hope you're right, Brian, because I love the game, and I would really hate to see uh, any sort of labor uh, disruption. Uh, but I, I just think that to accomplish, you're right, there is a path there. Uh, there there are ways to make the situation better, but I just don't know if uh, the two sides will be able to sit down and hammer something out that's uh, acceptable and amicable to both parties. I just sort of have my druthers. You know, they could certainly um, make arbitration available earlier. Yep. Uh, they could make free agency available earlier. Um, they could do away with uh, um, some of the, the service time issues that they have. Um, I mean, I, I think there's things that they could do. That, that maybe wouldn't satisfy either side, but, I mean, isn't that what a compromise is? Each side gives a little bit and you, you get to something that's acceptable and an improvement over what you had previously. And I, I think at the end of the day, the, the owners are making money hand over fist, and I, I just can't see them risking that over something where they, they, they make uh, uh, hundreds of millions instead of billions, you know? Yeah, no, I, I agree with everything you're saying. I, I just think it, it's a shame that when you start looking at the game or the business of baseball, it discourages the best players from being on the field at any given point in time. And I, I think that's one thing that has to change. You want fans to go, like Toronto's a prime example, Brian. You want fans to go, uh, you know, into the Rogers Center and you want to watch them re while that team is rebuilding, Okay. And you've got their two best players, Bo Bichette and Vladdy Guerrero Jr., are going to be sitting down in Buffalo for a period of time. That does not do the game any good. It doesn't sell tickets. It doesn't keep the fans happy. Hey, yeah, the business of baseball is happy. But things like that have to change so the teams can get the best product on the field. Or the fans. So... You should be a Mets fan because they're not going to do that with their top prospect. I think uh, Pete Alonso has all but uh, been uh, announced as making the, the team coming out of spring training. So they're trying to put their best uh, roster together. And I applaud them, Brian. I also applaud the San Diego Padres for taking 20-year-old 20, 20 uh, Fernando Tatis Jr. and starting the season with him at shortstop. Thumbs up to both teams. All right, well, we got uh, time for one more question, and uh, this is a, another payment-related one, and uh, that's uh, Robinson Cano. He signed the, the big contract uh, five years ago. It was a, a 10-year contract, and uh, kudos to the Mariners for getting the good five years and then ditching him for the last five years. But meanwhile, my Mets have to uh, pick up uh, most of that. Uh, Cano is owed $120 million for his age 36 through age 40 seasons and the Mets are going to pay 100 million of that and the Mariners are going to pay 20 million of that uh, how do you see those five years working out <clears throat> excuse me how do you see those five years working out for Cano and the Mets I think it's going to work out fine you know you're looking at 20 million a year for even uh, during his age 36 to 40 seasons I, I think potentially a top 10 second baseman Okay, now granted, when he gets into 39-40, you can't expect 35 homers and 120 RBIs, but if he can consistently hit low 20 homers 
80, 85 RBIs and hold a decent batting average with a glove, I, I think I think it's going to work out fine. I, I'm not overly concerned about that contract, Brian. Well, all of those things sound really good until you look at the history of second basemen who are that age. And there just isn't a whole lot of them who excelled at that age. Jeff Kent might be the, the best example. And then you have other guys who had a, a good season here or a good season there. Joe Morgan was really good at age 38. Um, I think Eddie Collins had some good years at that advanced age. But that's one of those things where every time that you can name a guy like that, I can name you know, uh, Ryan Sandberg or uh, Craig Biggio or Robbie Alomar. Yeah, I was just going to say Robbie Alomar, yeah, as a prime example. I'm betting that Robinson Cano is going to be more like Jeff Kent. How's that? Without the attitude. <laughs> well, uh, you're 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 uh, bullish on Ahmed Rosario. You're bullish on uh, Robinson Cano. Uh, you like the way that the the Mets are are handling the Pete Alonso situation. Tim, you claim to be neutral, but I, I'm I'm thinking you're a Mets fan. Uh, closet Mets fan. Well, actually, uh, going back in my history, I'm an Expos fan. Okay, I still am, and I'm hoping they get a team back. But when I as started- am I. As, and when I started following the game, Brian, my favorite player was LeGrand Orange. Rusty oh, Scott. Rusty. And where did Rusty spend most of his career? Uh, I, don't, I don't know if you can pick one team. Didn't he play almost yeah. equal time with like four or five te- different teams? But I, 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 think I think of him of, as a Met. I think of him as a Met as well. So my, my ties to the Mets uh, go back a long ways. And I don't have uh, any problems whatsoever rooting, rooting for your team, Brian. I, oh, I, I love it. I, I think the only problem, I love what they did this offseason. I like the direction they're, they're heading in. The only thing I feel sorry for Mets fans for is the fact that they're in a tough division. You know what I mean? Like, I, I think when you look at the other divisions in baseball, uh, uh, move, move them into the, uh, the NL West, and, and I think you'd be happier with the results. How's that? I don't know. The the Dodgers beat us like a, a redheaded stepchild, so I, I don't think I want to be in 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 their division. I think I'd like to get to play the Giants a few more times, but um, with with our record against the Dodgers the last few years, uh, I I would not want to play them 19 times in a season. But you know, at, at the end of the day, you want to be the best. You got to beat the best. So if we're in a tough division, so be it. Not everyone can be the Indians. Uh, I was I was just thinking of Cleveland. Yeah, you know, the, the, there's there's a team that uh, can almost win their division by default. I think, and I think they're trying that this year. Tim, we may have lost Tim. I don't know. I'm not sure. But anyway, we are all out of time. I'd I'd like to thank Tim for joining us tonight. And uh, please uh, tune back in again uh, next Wednesday. Not sure who our guest is going to be, but we'll have somebody. Maybe not as good as Tim, but we'll have somebody. (laughs) Thanks, everybody. Good night, everyone. And goodbye.